Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. You may be seated. It's so good to be here with you the eve of Thanksgiving. And um, I didn't know if it was going to be possible to be here tonight to minister. Um, I know how it is in our part of the world, just before a big holiday, most people are either busy dealing with last minute things or um, they're traveling, they're visiting family, relatives, and friends. And I'm so happy to see so many of you came out tonight. And I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving tomorrow with family and friends. And like Pastor already said, we always have so much to be thankful for. For us as believers, every day is Thanksgiving. Yeah? We don't have to wait till one day in the year where we can eat turkey. Turkey's nice, but the giving of thanks is better. And uh, we can give thanks daily. Now, in order for me to bring us to a place that I feel God has for us tonight, I need to tell you a little story. Is that okay? Yeah. And can I make myself at home up here? Yes. Right, just going to take a second. This is a pretty heavy pulpit with water on it, so we don't want to spill it. I'm going to turn this just, just a little bit back like this, and I'm going to take this chair. I want to talk to you. And I'll explain to you why I'm using the chair. This has become the way I'm used to ministering in the last um, nine months or eight months. Oh, the old man gets to sit down. Now, the last time I was here, it was February. And uh, those of you that know me, know my family, um, you were so kind and supported us as um, we were going through a time of grief. My mother had passed away. She was 97 years old. Her and my father served in this church together more than 20 years. My, they were, my father was a, an usher, my mother was a dog reader, and around 89 or 90, she just felt like she couldn't stand up anymore and do it, so she, she always had guilt about that. I feel so bad, but everybody understood. When you get to be 90, it's okay to sit down. And um, I'm not 90 yet, but it's still okay to sit down. <laughs> and uh, her passing, moved us all very much. The way she left this earth inspired me. I will never be the same. She knew she was going and she knew where she was going. She called up most of her friends and relatives. She said goodbye to everybody. She knew her time had come. And the last night we were all together, we had communion together. And, um, you know, I'm the the son and the pastor. So while we're having communion, I start to pray, and my mother does this. Stop. Okay, what's this? She starts to pray. She prayed for us as her children, her grandchildren, some of which were there, her great-grandchildren, one was there. And then she prayed for my ministry. And she went to bed. The next day was the last full day we had with her in the evening. She started to breathe heavy at 8.35 on Saturday morning, on February 25th. She left this earth and stepped into eternity. And it was such a moving time because of her confidence in knowing where she was going. Now, I need to tell you what's happened since then, so you understand what I want to share with you tonight. Um, Right around that time, I was asking God, what do I need to be doing? I've been living in Germany for 37 years. I've been pastoring now for 35 years. At the time, it was 34 and a half years. And I was at a point where I was asking myself, is it time for me to give the church over? Is it time for me to let others take up where where now we have come? And I sense God say to me that... um, there's still something I need to do. And he gave me a timeline. He gave me a five-year timeline. And this five-year timeline is to bring us to the end of 40 years of me ministering and pastoring the church. We started in my living room. And in those five years, we are to be in a process of seeing the next generation 
take on the leadership so that it won't be just a break in leadership. It'll be a bridge. And then I can be grandpa and I can come and go and do things, but at a different level. And I told the congregation, when I came back from being here for my mother's funeral, I told the congregation, I said, this is what I feel like God wants. Now, if my health holds up and you guys still want to listen to me, I will commit for the next five years with God's help and we will build a bridge into the future. And then at the end of those five years, see how it's going to run. Whether it's got a charismatic leader pastor, whether it's a team of leaders, I can't decide that, but I think we'll know together how God wants us to go into the future. And everybody felt that was good. And then in May, something happened, took me by surprise. I got up one day and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> That'll surprise you. And I thought it was pneumonia, because I had had a bout with pneumonia once when I was in India, but it turned out it wasn't pneumonia, it was something with my heart, and they didn't know really what was going on with my heart. And I ended up in the hospital, and it took about eight weeks of recovery, and I'm doing real great now, everything's fine, my heart's back to normal, but we didn't know all that back then. This is the nice side of telling the story. And so when I came out of the hospital and after about seven weeks of recovery, my doctor said, well, you can start to work, but take it easy. That's tough for an Italian to take it easy when I'm doing 20 things at once. He said, take it easy. So I promised my wife and I promised God, I'm not sure in which order it was, but both with reverence and my cardiologist that I would take it easy. So I got a cheer. And I sat, I sat down. And I've been sitting down ever since teaching. And I noticed the people started to listen different. Maybe my Italian um, energy would sidetrack them sometimes. And maybe they really weren't listening. And I found that they were very much intent like you are tonight. I'm sitting down talking. Well... We come into the summer, and I went away on vacation. I was in America. I was preaching at a missions conference, and I was preaching at a church in Texas. I had some time with one of my sisters in California. And when I came back to Munich, for the first time in 35 years, I felt like I was in the wrong place. I preached the first Sunday of September. I went home, and I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and I said, was that weird, or was it me? And she said, I felt like we weren't home. I said, I felt it too. I said, did I make a mistake? Did I misinterpret something? Should I be at a place now where we are going to celebrate our 35th anniversary back in September? It would be the first Sunday in October. Yeah, should I be checking out already in October and saying, hey, church, it's time to move on? Now, I have a very wise wife, and I've learned to listen to her. Save a lot of headaches by listening to her. And she said to me, she said, let's not be in a rush. Let's give it till the end of the year. If we feel like this over the next few months, then it's obvious we need to do something. So September kind of just went along. October, first Sunday of October, I will get to the message. First Sunday of October, I had a guest speaker, a friend of mine, Pastor Wyatt Brown from Greenville, South Carolina. We've been dear friends for over 32 years. And uh, Wyatt flew over to be our speaker for our 35th anniversary. And Wyatt was very close to Brother Hagen. He lived with the Hagens when he was just a teenager. He traveled with Brother Hagen. And, and there's a lot of Brother Hagen's ministry that's still in Wyatt. I see it in other young ministers at that time today. They're old men like me that happened to be with Brother Hagen. And you can see pieces of his ministry live on through the things he imparted to them and Wyatt's one of them so Wyatt came and he prayed he preached about about God moving in a very spectacular way and he prayed for many people it was a great service but that's a guest speaker so you can't judge with that and the next week was a Sunday and um, the next week on a Sunday was my wife's birthday and the whole family planned to be in another city because my wife is an actress. She uses her gift to tell people about Jesus. And this year in Germany, it's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. 
Martin Luther, on October 31st, he nailed his 95 thesis on the doors, church doors of the church in Wittenberg, and he was calling for reform of what was going on in the church at that time. And through his work, we have the world the way it is today. The Protestant church was born. The Bible was given into the hands of the people. And we found out it's not by works, but it's by faith in Jesus and faith alone that you and I can have eternal hope. And since then, that's also what Catholics, Catholics preach and teach and believe. So wonderful. There's been a great time of Reformation in the last 500 years. Well, my wife wrote a play about the Reformation. It's about Katie Luther. She was the first pastor's wife. And you get to relive the Reformation through the eyes of the woman on the side of, my, of this great man of God, Martin Luther. So she was asked to perform in the very city where it all started, in the city of Wittenberg. And so the whole family came to be with her on that day. And so I ended up going up alone on the train, and I'm walking down the street. There's only two streets in Wittenberg. It's an old medieval town, very quaint, very beautiful. A lot of tourists are going there in this last year because of this big event. And I'm walking down the main street, and I go right by Martin Luther's house. And as I'm walking, it's raining. I got a hood on. I'm carrying my bag. My bag, I'm rolling it behind me. Suddenly, the Lord spoke to me. Very quietly, no, no burst of light, no earthquake, just a small voice. When you go home, I want you to teach on the supernatural. I want you to make it like a biography. Tell your story and teach my people to be always looking for the supernatural. Now that was seven weeks ago. What's happened since then, I'm sure you'll be hearing about it. It's blown me away. How do I know something's happening? When you come to church and people are in a line waiting and you haven't started yet and every seat is full, what's going on? Now, I've been with great men and women of God who have come out of great moves of God, and I've heard them speak and tell everybody what you've got to do to get what they just had, and then I realized one day they weren't doing that when they got that. God surprises us. And I'm living in one of those surprises. And I pray, and I want to pray right now before we get into the word, that God will stir something up in you. Amen. That you'll be aware more than ever before of the supernatural working of God in your life. And so often we take it for granted. We don't even recognize it. And church can become a drag, can become something we have to fulfill, have to do. When actually, this is the best place in town to be. To be in a place where God dwells, where he shows himself to his people, where we can come and get prayer, where people can come and stand with us, and we can stand with them, and we can hear the eternal word of God and get insight for our lives and find out why we sometimes do such stupid things and how God can fix the stupid things we've done. Hello? Church became fun again. Exciting. Can hardly wait to get back. But I'm so happy to be here with you tonight. And I pray it does something in your spirit tonight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us tonight. Help us to hear your word. Help us to hear what you want to say to us. Give us the insight that we need. And help us to understand your plan, your purpose for us personally, for us collectively. Let us be able to, be to fulfill the plan and purpose of God for our generation that we might see our glory and see you working not only in our lives but in the lives that we touch. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask this, Father. Amen. Now, just think about the word supernatural for a minute. I, I wish you could speak German because the German word for supernatural is a bit cooler. It's, the German word is übernatürlich. And what it means, literally, it's over the natural. 
The word uba is over, and the natural is natural. So supernatural is something that's above this natural world. And it brought me right to a scripture that I knew God wanted to show, show me, show the church, show you tonight. We as Christians are called to walk with God and walk in the supernatural. Now, it's funny. The word supernatural, you won't even find in the Bible. It doesn't exist in the Bible. You read about signs and you read about wonders. And this is a problem with us. We mostly limit what God is doing to something big that everybody can see. And that's cool to see wonderful things. And I want to see God do bigger and wonderful things as more than I've ever seen before. But God is always doing the supernatural. Don't confuse supernatural with spectacular. You make a grave mistake when you do that. Because you miss the little things in life that's always pointing you that God knows you, loves you, and on your side, and he's working for you and with you every day. I was missing it. I'm praying. I'm doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. God, I want to see the big things. And God says, open your eyes to the supernatural. Be a spiritual man or a spiritual woman. Because that's where it all begins. A true spiritual man or spiritual woman is not somebody who's spooky, not somebody who's weird. It's not hocus pocus. You could use the word spiritual man or woman with, you could, you could use just as well use the word mature. A grown-up Christian. See, just because you do something stupid or weird or spooky doesn't make you spiritual. The Bible's very clear. Colossians, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Let's stop there. Paul said, I had desired to speak unto you as unto spiritual. There it is. Speak to you as spiritual. Nice translation. Spiritual people but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He desired to speak to them as spiritual, but he could not speak because they were carnal. They were as babes in Christ. Now, there are a number of words for the word carnal. One word is fleshly. Another word is soulish. We're going to back up a minute and read chapter 2, where Paul talks about the soulish Christian, the carnal Christian, the baby Christian. Now, every one of us begins as a baby. That's nothing wrong with that. But when you've been around for 15 years, it's time to get out of the diapers. Spiritual. You understand what I'm saying? Spiritual growth does not happen because you come to church with your Bible for 15 years. That's not spiritual growth. Spiritual growth comes as you begin to know God through his word. See, we live in an age where it's kind of cool to be spiritual. You talk to people outside of the church, and people think being spiritual is cool. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And all they're doing is they're creating God after their own image. It doesn't work that way. We've been created by God after his image. And so if we try to become spiritual without the word of God, we end up trying to create a God after our image, after our imagination, and it never works. But people have a desire for the supernatural. There's something in every one of us human beings that says there's more to this life than what you can see. There's more to life than just what living and dying. There's more to life than just the material world. We might deny it. We might try to go our own way to find it. But God's placed eternity in every one of our hearts. There's a knowing that there's something else out there. Well, that's something else. His name is Jesus. And he came to show us the unseen God, our Heavenly Father. And he sent his Holy Spirit that he would help us so we could begin to understand what it means to be spiritual so we can live in the supernatural. No longer being confined to the natural limitations of this life. 
But as long as we live, natural. Carnal is another word. Fleshly is another word. Soulish is another word. See, the soul of man is that part of man which where, where, where our emotions and our feelings and our senses operate. And they're good. It's there from God to help us to live in a natural world. But when that dominates everything you do, every decision you make, everything you judge, you might know the Bible, chapter and verse, but you're still like a baby Christian. And you can be around the church for 25 years and still be a baby Christian. And you'll never be able to understand the supernatural realm that's right around you all the time that God desires for you to live in because you're keeping yourself back. Look at this with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's go over there. I'm going to grab it with my iPad here. We can begin reading in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now that's a quote out of the Old Testament. Under the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit like you and I have. They didn't have sonship. We were not sons and daughters of the Almighty God. They were servants. Israel were servants of the Almighty God. They had a promise that the Messiah would come. We look back to the cross and we say, thank God the Messiah has come. And so this verse is not for us. And watch what Paul says. But, <laughs> it's a good but, but God hath revealed them to who? To us, to the church, to his children. God has revealed them to us. How did he do it? By his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, if you catch this, your Bible is suddenly going to become more precious than it ever has been in your life. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can truly teach us the Bible. He uses men and women. He uses ministry gifts. But it's him that's our teacher. It's he who leads us into what? The very deep things of God. He says here, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. See, that's why it's foolish for us to judge one another. You don't know what's in me. Right. Only the Spirit of me knows what's in me and the Spirit of God that dwells in me. We can only judge from the outward appearance. And that, judge is always, ju that judgment is always faulty. But you know in the inside of you where you're really at. You know on the inside of you how you're living, what's right, what's wrong. God's placed that within you. And he's given you his spirit, and his spirit knows the very deep things that God desires to show us. God's holding nothing back. We just become dull of hearing. And our eyes become dull of seeing. Look at the next sentence. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Oh, and underline this five times. That we might know. Know what? The things that are freely given us of God. God wants you to know. He doesn't want you to be stupid. That's good news. I'm so glad I was very stupid. I was very ignorant. Even when I thought I knew so much. I was talking to Wyatt just the other day, and he was, he was reciting a time when he was on the road with Brother Hagen, and suddenly he had an appearance of Jesus. And he said, Brother Hagen began to cry. And as he was crying, he started to say, oh, but, but God, I know so little. I know so little. I know. And Wyatt said, I remember standing there thinking, oh my God, if he knows so little, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and we really do. Some of us think we know so much. And we really know so little. The more I learn, the more I realize how much I haven't known. 
And yet the one who knows it all is living inside us. Wants to show us, bro, show us the deep things of God. And he's been sent that we might know. We don't have to stay stupid. We might know the things that are freely given us of God. But here's the key, folks. Look at this. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, and here's the key, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I believe it's the Amplified Bible that says, comparing spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. You know, when I read that, I immediately thought of John chapter 6, verse um, 63, or John chapter 3, verse 63 where Jesus said, my words are life and they are spirit. The key to becoming a spiritual person is to let the Holy Ghost lead you into this book. To let the word of God be unfolded to you every day, that you go to the word asking God, show me, show me, teach me. And of course, you just can't be learning. You've got to be applying what you learn to your daily life. Because only then will you experience the fruit of what this word was sent to do, to transform our lives. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it the way God had planned it. Have it in abundance. What separates us from an abundant life what allows lack and deficit to be in our lives? It's only because we're being ignorant to what belongs to us through Christ and in Christ. And maybe we think we know so much up here, but what's going on in here? Where's our heart? Well, let me get back to my story. I hope I got you interested. So I go back home. I've learned something a long time ago. We have a tendency to want to sacrifice. We want to do the hard thing. We want to fast for 40 days, and there's nothing wrong with fasting. It's good to fast. It doesn't change God. It changes you. We want to give this away, and we want to work at this, and we need all the things we don't do. It's so quick to get back into what we got to do. And now we're back into works as if grace doesn't even exist. Grace is unmerited favor. Our work should be a result of receiving that grace, wanting to do it, not having to do it to prove something or to get something. And we slip into this all the time. But there's a verse in the Old Testament that is for me so helpful. It says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And it's amazing if you'll just obey Obey the word as you begin to read it and see it and do your best to apply it in your life and obey that still small voice. Obey those whispers that God breathes into you. So get the picture. I'm walking in the city of the Reformation, Wittenberg. 500 years later, I'm walking down the street and God says, I want you to teach about the supernatural when you go home. And I want you to take parts of your life and I want to make it like a biography. I said, okay, God. So first Sunday, I sit down and I read those scriptures that I just read for you. And I taught in that first morning mostly about the importance of being spiritual people. Not being spooky, not being flippy, but being truly spiritual. Learning about God, taking spiritual truth out of the spiritual word and learning to apply it in our lives and being aware that God is at work in us, around us, and through us. It's truly supernatural. And then I told them this story. I brought a picture with me. Can I show you this picture tonight? Some of you laugh. Look at that picture. Now, I look more like the guy on the right today. That's actually my dad. That's George. I'm turning into him more and more. It's amazing. Some days I look in the mirror and I think, George, what are you doing? How did you get here? And that was what, that's the preacher boy. That's me 33 years ago. Ah, don't I look like the pastor? Now, let me tell you the story of these two guys. Because they couldn't be any more different. 
I got saved through a supernatural, spectacular moment of Jesus. There's some of my friends sitting here tonight. I used to be a rock and roll musician. I was not raised to be a pastor. I was not aspiring to be in the ministry, to be a missionary. I was living for me and for my own glory, and I wanted to be a rock god and have a good, rich life (laughs) and really didn't care about anybody else. Very self-centered. And Jesus disturbed all that. And he started one at a time. All my circle of friends, they all started getting saved. I didn't understand what that meant. And they did something crazy. They started to pray for me. Every day they pray for me. Now there are a couple of them sitting here tonight. Stevie's here. Michael's here. I don't know if any of my other friends are there. And they would have a prayer meeting every night and they'd be praying for me by name. Get them, God. And, And they prayed... (laughs) they prayed prayers. I'm not saying you should pray. Like, God, frustrate them and do whatever it takes and don't don't necessarily pray those kind of prayers. But God heard them. They worked. I was frustrated. (laughs) Every door that I thought was open closed in my face. And one night, Jesus walked into my room. I'll scare the hell out of you. (laughs) Literally. I didn't see his whole body. I only heard his voice. He called my name. He put a sword in my hand. He said, tonight's tonight. If you don't take that sword and break those chains, you're lost forever. Tonight, you must make a choice. I realized there was somebody else in that room, and I found out who it was. It was the devil. He had come for my life, and Jesus had intervened because they were praying. I would say that's spectacular. It doesn't happen every day like that. And I responded immediately, did not understand it. I bought a bus ticket the next day, traveled from LA all the way back to Providence, knocked on their door and said, hey guys. And they said, oh, you finally made it. I said, what do you mean I finally made it? Nobody knew I was coming. Yeah, God spoke to us a couple of days ago. What are you talking about? This is all too, too much for me. They knew I was coming before I left. And then they said this, and he told us that you want something. I said, yeah, I want what you got. And they all laughed. I said, you guys are laughing. I've been sitting on a bus for 72 hours. They said, oh, John, you just got born again. What does that mean? I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know that when you asked Jesus into your heart, that's what happened to me. Because in that moment, in that dream or vision or whatever it was, I called out to Jesus. And my life was changed from the inside. I I didn't understand it. I couldn't explain it. But I was not the same person. It scared me. I said, please explain this to me. What happened? And the first thing they did was they gave me a Bible. I'll never forget it. My friend Larry, he said to me, he said, I said, where do I begin to read it? I didn't know how to start reading the Bible. He said, well, your name is John. Start with the Gospel of John. I read the whole Gospel of John that first night. I remember hearing the birds. They were singing in the morning. The sun was coming up. I sat on my bed. I read the whole Gospel of John in one night. And it was like Jesus was talking to me. Now that was in this coming December, that'll be 40 years ago. That had happened to me. Look at the other guy. Supernatural. The one, spectacular. An event with God. It had nothing to do with me. It was God's mercy and their prayers. And I don't know why he chose to do that. Now, my father, on the other hand, was the only person I thought that God ever created that could never be saved. Because George was such a character. He was such a thick-headed person. He had his own ways about him. I could not picture my father. No way Getting on his knees and saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I could not picture that. It could not get through this brain. And I, would, I did my Christian duty. I prayed for my family. I prayed for my mother. My mother was easy. She was the first convert I ever had. Took five minutes. Mom, you're going to be saved. Okay, what does that mean? Just pray with me, Mom. And she prayed, and that was that. Mom was easy. I'm her son. She'll do whatever I say. But obviously she understood and she believed Jesus for herself. But my father, George, forget it. 
I'll never forget it. 1985, right after Christmas, my parents come to stay with us because Mayana is huge with child, and the due date was the 27th of December, and my daughter was born on the 2nd of January. So they were going to stay for a couple weeks, help us, because young parents don't have a clue what they're supposed to be doing. You know, they always say, oh, the first child is so, straight, is so difficult. No, it's the parents that are so difficult, because they don't know what they're doing. And we all get through it, and by the second child, here's your bed, here's your bottle, see you tomorrow. Oh, life's so easy for all the young parents that might help you. So my parents are there helping us, and on New Year's Eve, we would have a service, and at that service, we would have communion. And it, so it is, when I minister communion, I first explain that you must be a Christian. Don't take communion if you're not a Christian, because it's not for you. If anything, it's a judgment if you'll take it unworthily. And it's a moment for us as Christians to examine ourselves. So that's what I do. So I'm preparing in the morning. I'm actually shaving. I'm standing at the mirror and I'm praying in the Holy Spirit and I'm asking God to give me the right words for this New Year's Eve. And I'm all excited because I know we're going to have a baby in a little bit. And the Lord speaks to me. He says, tonight, your father, it will be saved. I said, I don't believe it. <laughs> Listen to the answer. Doesn't matter what you believe, you're going to see it. That's what he said to me. Doesn't matter what you believe, you're going to see it. Now, I understand this now, and I'll explain to you why Jesus said this to me. It was a lesson for my life. I went right to the bedroom. I went right to my wife. I said, Mayana, you won't believe what Jesus just said to me. He said, my father, George, is going to get saved tonight. Can you believe that? She said, no. He said, we're going to see it. That night, before communion, before New Year's Eve, uh, before midnight, I, we have communion. I said, now, is there anybody here who wants to give his life to Jesus before we partake of communion? My father stands up, comes right and stands in front of me. He said, I do. Now, let me explain to you what happened. Four months later, I'm in America. And do you remember the old days when we were over, where this church was over in the plaza? And, and there was the days of satellite link-ups for seminars. Do you remember those days? And there was an Ed Cole satellite men's Saturday breakfast. And so there must have been, I don't know, 100, 150, 200 men. The church, whatever that held, was very full. They had come from all over. And before we were going to start the meeting, I don't know if it was Pastor Sam. I don't really remember, but maybe it was Pastor Sam. He said, well, before we start this morning, does anybody have anything to share? And my father raises his hand. Now, if you knew my father, you knew that you never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. You know that when he would say, and I'm the pastor, you know, look at me. I'm the young professional. So I do this in my chair. I'm like, do I know this guy? <laughs> like, what's he going to say? He stands up and he says this. He said, I want you to know and I want everybody here to know why I'm here today. He said, I'm only here because of my son. I looked at him. He said, I watched my son for 10 years. And I realized what God had done in his life was real. And then I said to my, this is what he said in church to all the guys. If Jesus could do that for my son. You have to understand, my father had difficulty with me. When I was a rock and roll musician, I had here down to here. When I would come in the room, you know how he would introduce me? He would say to everybody, oh, here comes the daughter I never wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, he said to all these men, I'm only here because of him. I watched him for 10 years and I realized if Jesus could change him and I knew it was real, Jesus could change me. Amen. Supernatural? Yes. Spectacular? Maybe not. If you know George, yes. But it was nothing spectacular. It was him watching me live out 
my faith. Was he any less saved than me? No. Did he have any less grace than me? No. You see, we need to realize that God is working through our lives even when we're not aware of it. Did I think that there was a magnifying glass over my life when my father was watching me? No. And did I think that my life was going to have an eternal impact on his heart and his life? No. I thought he was beyond understanding who Jesus is. I couldn't fathom him being a believer. Not that he was so evil. It's just my father was a good guy. But I couldn't, I just couldn't get my head around it that he would say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I couldn't get it into my head. And the whole time, something supernatural, something beyond what we see in the natural realm was at work. God was touching his heart. That's the message I taught in the first Sunday. On that first Sunday, I watched people weep. I saw parents weeping because of their children. I saw children weeping because of their parents, people that they know that they've been believing for. What happened next, I didn't expect. People took the word seriously. Suddenly, people began to be aware, God is working in my life. See, just because you didn't see the earthquake, just because you didn't see the visitation of the angel, doesn't mean God isn't supernaturally going beyond the natural realm and doing something for you and through you to touch others around you and to change your life and to steer you on the course that he's destined you to be on. But if we stay carnal, if we stay natural, if we stay locked up. Now, what's a soulish Christian? He's one that judges everything by what he can reason in his own brain. Your brain is good. It's not a a sin to think. But when thinking goes on beyond the, the promise of God, when it locks you into this can happen because of You limit what God can do. And you step back from the supernatural and you live in the realm of the natural. And let me tell you what Jesus told me. Most of the church lives in the natural. And that's the problem. They have a desire for the supernatural. Even spirit-filled Christians, charismatic Christians praising Christians. They have a desire for it, but they can't live in it because they haven't taken the time to take this book serious, apply it in their lives, learn the truth of God, and live it simply out. And whether the earthquake comes or not, that doesn't matter. God's working. And to get up every day and to know that God is working in my life. I am a child of God. He loves me. He's watching over me. No matter what happens, no matter what may seem to be in front of me, me and my God are greater. And God will put me through, put me over, get me beyond. If you'll determine to live like that, you'll go from being a natural Christian What did Paul say? I wanted to talk to you like spiritual, but I couldn't. Because as long as you're a natural, soulish Christian, you are like a baby in Christ. And although God's doing so much, you're not getting it. Third week of church. And I took, and we don't have time to do it now. We're going to close in a minute. But I took the thought of favor. Supernatural favor. And I use times in my life where God gave me favor. Where he's working in my life. And not only for me, but for my kids. I told the story about my daughter, how she got her job. It was, and I told her, when she got a job, it was supernatural how she got the job. And I told her, I said to her, don't ever think you did this. This is because your mommy and daddy obeyed God. And one day you're going to be a mommy and you better obey God so that your kids will have that kind of favor that you have. And she'll be the first to tell you. 
She knows that the job that she got was only because because she was at the right place at the right time. So that's what favor does. Favor opens the right door. You're at the right place at the right time. And people say, oh, you're always lucky. No, I'm blessed. I got supernatural favor. I talked about provision. Oh, God's provision. Don't think about money with provision. I thought of the story with Elijah. He tells Elijah, I have found someone to take care of you. What did he find? A widow who was ready to die because she had no faith and had no material, no food, nothing. <laughs> God has his funny ways. It's like him telling me, it doesn't matter what I see, what I believe, I'll see it with my father. You know why he said that? My father had already made a decision for him. My father had already purposed in his heart, when I come to John, I'm going to make it known that I'm following Christ. And God did that for me, I think, just to make me see how little I really know and how much I really limit him, although I was the preacher and was the man of faith and powder. <laughs> yeah? God has a provision. And you know the story with Elijah and that widow. God came through. They survived that famine. And the times that God has done things for me. Unbelievable provision in ways that I would have never dreamed of. Church was in debt for 430,000 daymark. That's about a quarter of a million dollars. And I'm responsible. And I go to God in prayer, God, what do I do? And he says, don't worry about it. It's all taken care of. But God, it was my mistake. He said, yes, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. It's taken care of. And we're in the first phases of litigation. We're going to have a feud in court about this money. And, only, and I go to God and he said, what are you doing? I already told you it's taken care of. God's provision. I go to sleep one night, I have a dream, and I dream of tax laws. I'm sometimes slow, but I'm not that stupid. I'm dreaming of tax laws. I called my tax accountant, and he's a Christian. He knows I'm crazy. I said, I had a dream about tax laws. I think God wants to show me something. He says, send your original contract to me. Let me look at it again. I'll make a long story short. I was paying too much taxes, and the government paid us 430 to the penny of the money. We were behind. Who would have figured that one out? Now, why did he make me wait four years? He wanted to teach me a lesson. When he says, it's all right, it's all right. Just chill. It'll be cool. God can provide. God can provide finances. Of course he can. But you've got to make a decision. Am I going to live in the supernatural? Am I expecting God's goodness in my life every day? Or am I going to be in the natural? Am I going to only believe God to the point that I can figure it out in my brain? And when it doesn't happen the way I want, now listen to me, church, if it doesn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen, I'm going to just throw it all away because God didn't hear my prayers. No! God might be doing something in a way that you can't see it now. But don't limit the Almighty. We sing so wonderfully, he's an awesome God. Well, God wants you to live it out that he's an awesome God. And it takes a people who are determined to become spiritually mature, to experience the supernatural. And you know what it does? It creates in us a spirit of thanksgiving. You don't got to get the praise and worship going. The second, this is one of the signs that something is happening right now. We're into the seventh week of this. So you come in the church now. Ten weeks ago, you come into church and you think, is anybody coming this morning? Where are they all? And you play the first song and it's like, oh God, help me not to look at the natural. I'm just going to worship you. And you open your eyes. Oh, and there's a few more coming, a few more come, And after 20 minutes, oh, the place is filled up. <sighs> Thank God. The third Sunday, I'm preaching this. I come onto the platform, because I still play in the, praise and I play in the praise and worship band. I love worshiping God with my instrument. I come on the platform. I look at the church, and it's full. I look at my clock. 
It's one minute before time to start. What's going on here? It's revival. <laughs> it's something happening. It's people wanting to be there. It's like, I can't wait. What's God going to give us today? What's he going to do today? And we really haven't had anything spectacular, but there's been so much awareness of God in our midst. And then they bring their friends and they bring their relatives and they bring their colleagues from work and they bring their students from school and then we're setting up more chairs in the back. I know we're just started to roll into this thing and I so desire for you to experience the same thing. And it was nothing we did on purpose. Did you get that? It wasn't the big wisdom. It wasn't 35 years, the old man in the chair and he's going to... It was very simply, God said it, I did it. I was not expecting what was to happen. And I can hardly get back because when I talk to my office, they're like having praise parties. There's a joy in their voices that wasn't there just a few weeks ago. And I so desire for you to experience it. To have that in your home, to have that in your business, to have that in your home group, to have that in this church. And I believe that's the message God wanted me to give you, to share with you. I, can I sing a song before I pray for you? And then we'll close. We all need to go home and get ready for turkey. <laughs> um, you know, like Paul said, I'm in a straight, uh, I'm in a straight between two things here. Thank you. If I could use your guitar. Yes, sir. Hey, you can use this. I'm very, I'm very picky about my picks. <laughs> should I just use this microphone? Or should I pull a microphone? Mike? Do I need a, another microphone or do I use the lavalier? Ah, oh, thank you. That'll probably work better than the lavalier. I'll shut the lavalier off. I wasn't sure which song I would sing. There's one song that goes with that picture. It's a song God gave me about when I met Jesus that night. It's called Long Road to Heaven. And then there's another song that God gave me just last week, and I sang it for the church because sometimes we think, and I think I'll sing the new one for you, if that's all right. If I remember the words, God help me. But... Sometimes we think it's the special ones. You know, the special ones, they get all the cool supernatural stuff. And we're all special in that sense. There's none of us that have this special in with God. He sees us all the same. And it's not our effort in the sense of our works that make us be able to experience these cool things. It's his love. God loved us. John said, herein we understand and know the love of God, that he first loved us. So this song is called, Lord, It's Just Me Again. It's me again Here I am Among my knees Just wanna say Thanks to you Lord, it's only me 
just us, who we are, all our flaws, all our strengths, all our talents, and all the talents we don't have. As we come like that, you open the door for God working supernaturally. And let me pray for you. Thank you, Father, for this night. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to just share simply what you're doing in our lives, at home, in our church, in my own heart. And I want to pray for everyone tonight that they may be stirred to seek you new. That they may be hungry to hear your voice and be willing and daring to be obedient to that voice. And that you would take everyone in this place from tonight on into a higher place in you. And that our eyes and our understanding would be opened to the supernatural that you do things that go beyond what we've even asked for. Your word says you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, but you said according to what we allow at work within us. Teach us, Lord, 
that our lives might not limit your unlimitedness in our, in our midst. And help us never to forget, it's not us, it's you. You're so gracious. You're so kind. And that we can come as we are. So I thank you, Father. And tomorrow as we celebrate Thanksgiving, for us that heard this message tonight, let us reflect on all that you've done and let us be expected for all you desire to do. And Father, for those that are praying for loved ones, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a wife, husband, child, that they might be saved, let them draw from that story of my dad and myself. Whether you have to come with a visitation or whether they're already being touched by observing a believer's life. Let us have the confidence tonight. You are at work. You are the God that hears. You are the God that fulfills those prayers. Not one of them goes by you. So thank you for this evening, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church.